Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm excited to let you know that the second annual online near-death experience summit is coming up this June 23rd with speakers Dr. Raymond Moody, Lisa Smart, Dr. Jeffrey Long, Dr. Eben Alexander, Karen Newell, Nancy Rines, Howard Storm, Paul Perry, David Ditchfield, Leslie Lupo, Kimberly Clark Sharp, Dr. Tony Chicoria, John Burke, Jose Hernandez, and me, your host. There are plenty of videos to check out ahead of time, but please look at this link and we'd love to have you join. You can get your questions answered by the speakers at this event. And thank you. Thank you so much for your support of my memoir, Angels in the OR, which launched last month. It is such a pleasure to connect with readers and many people have enjoyed the Audible. So if you don't have an Audible subscription, you can have three, 30 days um, for free and get my book that way. But I would love to hear from you and I hope you enjoyed this recording. You can check out these interviews on my YouTube channel. I'm converting many of them over to podcast, but enjoy. Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm so excited to be here with Nancy Rines, and she is the author of Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons, Life Lessons Learned from a Near-Death Experience, and I think that's a beautiful way to write a book to focus on what heaven can teach us and bring to our lives, and I'm so excited to talk with Nancy because she was an agnostic, as I was before her near-death experience, and that is such a profound life change to go from being an agnostic to this amazing experience. And, and you were also in the science world, isn't that correct? Science and technology. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So could you tell me just a little bit about uh, maybe your fears of death or what you thought about dying before the near death experience? Sure. Yeah, you know, like a lot of people, for most of my life, I was terrified of death. I, I when I was a kid, I wasn't. But when, of course, when one more kids, we're in a completely different zone. But as I grew up and really moved away from my spiritual teachings that I had when I was a child, I had I le- I basically learned a fear of death. I, I was terrified that what it meant was, you know, blackness, the end of consciousness forever. There was nothing, you know, that was going to be it. And I, I was so terrified of, of that concept that I really couldn't live. I mean, it was, it was hobbling me. It was, it was draining me. Uh, it was making me really tired, but it was keeping me really from living my best life. And, and that's kind of, I think that was really an outgrowth of moving into that atheist agnostic space as a young adult. Um, you know, I, I just didn't know what came after. Yeah, there's, I remember feeling smarter than everyone, like, oh, all those religious people are so ridiculous, and the spiritual people are so far out there, and I know that we just die with the body, you know, and I had that that type of consciousness, but I was also, like you, terrified when I thought about not ever thinking again, not ever being me ever again, and I was so pleased when we went on that we actually do go on. Did you have a lot of agnostic friends? Have you been in contact with them after the near-death experience? I've had some that have basically have really moved away and they weren't really deep friends anyway. So I wasn't really surprised. They're very strict 
scientist. So it kind of sounds like I'm talking about a religion, but in a way I am. So they were very into the science and didn't want to, you know, kind of delve into any other space besides materialism, rationalism, that kind of thing. So they, it's not like they cut off ties. They just kind of didn't want to hang out with me too much anymore. Um, I think the, the interesting thing for me that I've had since this is I've had a ton of scientists who I didn't know before email me secretly, you know, I'm not supposed to give their names, um, who say they've had these same experiences or they've had these same feelings and have a really deep-seated sense of spirituality, but they can't talk about it with anybody and they felt safe to talk about it with me. So while some of my scientists or agnostic friends kind of moved away um i've gained more new 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 friends who were closet spiritual people who were in the sciences because of it so it all balanced out i think it was i think for me it was good to be to put that message out there that hey you know i i am a scientist was a scientist and it's okay to talk about this stuff Right. And are you, are you like me and many near-death experiencers where you have no fear of death, but a little bit of fear of physical pain, you know, after going through <laughs> <laughs> don't want to do the physical pain ever again. Buster. Right. right. I, I'm actually, uh, like you probably, or maybe, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I have absolutely zero fear of death now because I know it's not really the end. Um, you know, it's just a transition and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you. The, I think the near-death experience is an interesting type of spiritual awakening because it's coupled with trauma a lot of times right. and physical trauma. And it's actually kind of hard for me to hear too much of the physical trauma when it's a car accident or something similar to mine. And so I do want you to tell some of your story, but I always ask people to skip a lot of the, the actual wreck and you know being run over and, and time in the hospital and get to that afterlife portion because that's that's what was so shocking to me and I'm sure that was shocking to you too. So I'd love to yeah. hear your experience if you want to talk about the first part where your consciousness <laughs> separated and then the surgery. Sure. Yeah, I had the the uh, accident happened in Boulder near Boulder, Colorado, in a small town. And now it's been about five years ago. Now it was uh, I think January of 2014, and I was just happened to be running errands on my bike, which you know I did a lot. It wasn't anything unusual, um, and it was a beautiful dry day. And I ended up uh, biking around a roundabout. And it, and long story short, there uh, I was hit broadside, kind of like this from my right hand side by a woman who was really busy texting while she was driving. So she didn't know she hit me. Um, it, 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 so she drove for quite a ways and a lot of stuff happened while she was driving. But one of the main things that happened is at one point during the accident itself, I noticed a, kind of a weird, oh, I wonder what that's all about kind of noticing. Um, my consciousness was split into two places, which I thought at the time was, whoa, that's really weird. But I was, I was in my body, you know, there was a the sense of consciousness in here in my body. And it was scared, which, you know, you would be during an accident. But there was a part of me, I call it my higher self, some people might call it a soul, whatever. But for me, I call it my higher self, felt like it was watching the accident from about like 75 feet off to the side, kind of out on the grass, you know, on a grassy area near this, near this roundabout. 
And the, what struck me was the difference between those two points of view, not just in where they were physically located, right, but also in their approach to what was going on. So my human consciousness, the one that was in my body, was very scared, as you would imagine. Um, it wasn't really feeling any physical pain because a lot of stuff happens during an accident that keeps you from feeling physical pain. But I was certainly scared and didn't know what was going to happen. But the me that was outside, the, that higher consciousness that was watching from that separated vantage point, I remember that, that, me, that part of me thinking, wow, this is really sad and it's very painful, but it's necessary. It's exactly what is meant to be happening and everything will be okay in the end. I'm, and there I'm, was a like a disconnect there like whoa wait a minute what's going on <laughs> so is that self connected to a higher consciousness already or do you do you think that you know it was it was simply being fed that information from that field that that gives you more information that higher self or do you think it just knew it knew i think there was the there was the knowing i mean the that higher self at least in my experience my higher self tends to be connected to that field of love, that field of knowing all the time. And that, as you, as you probably know from your NDE and hearing others, that field of spiritual love, spiritual knowing, you can call it the God field if you want, um, it, it transcends time and space. So there really isn't time and space at that level. So it knows what's going to happen from our, from our perspective, what's going to happen. So it could see, it knew that this was part of the plan, that and this isn't was it, part of the deal. Yeah. And isn't it strange those words themselves that this is all the way it's meant to happen. This is the way it should be. That's how we should live every moment of our lives. And we don't, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I, don't, I know a lot of people don't, but, but really that's the way that we should be living is that everything is unfolding beautifully the, may, the way it is meant to unfold yeah it's supreme acceptance of what is yeah and and letting go of the fear of what is uh, a lot of times we get so like wrap we get kind of grapple on we grab onto that fear because it's all we seem to have but if we let go of the fear then we're able to live in that space of of now the accepting being in the moment now and that's that space transcends fear it transcends worry it transcends guilt um all that stuff that we carry with us from the past it goes past all that and it transcends accidents and illness and death even and that's that's the magical and amazing part of that so your your higher self was in that place and then do you want to skip ahead to the surgery where you had the profound near-death experience yeah. what kind of surgery did you have exactly well, I had to have back surgery because my back was pretty badly busted up. And I had one vertebrae that was basically blown apart. There wasn't really much left of it. Um, oh, I know. I lost three of those. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, you got it then. Yeah, it was. Um, so what they decided to do is they were going to put two titanium rods kind of on either side of my back to stabilize it. Um, you know, so I wouldn't be a paraplegic and so that I could get up and walk around. So that's when they brought me into the, to the OR and... I had, as soon as they were giving me the anesthetic, which was injected, it wasn't a, it was a full general anesthetic. Um, 
for me, I didn't know anything was going on. I just drifted off. But apparently, from what I heard later, I had a reaction of some kind. They're not still not really sure what happened, but I had a reaction to the anesthetic, which caused my breathing to stop. Um, my blood pressure went to zero, as you can imagine, and my heart rate just went flatlined for a little while. Uh, it wasn't too long on the earth plane that that happened, but it was enough to prompt that separation, you know, to, and, and I spoke with my doctor later and he said, it often doesn't take much for that separation to happen. And he said, it can just take a few seconds in some people. Um, so the amount of time that you're in crisis doesn't really matter. It's just being in some kind of crisis. So what I, what, what I noticed is I woke up, but I didn't wake up in the OR, you know, I didn't wake up in the hospital at all. I woke up standing, which I thought in and of itself was a little weird because <laughs> my back was broken, my neck was broken. So I woke up standing on a beautiful hillside in a meadow. And the meadow was, it had flowers in it and off the trees off in the distance and distant mountains kind of rolling along. And that was all kind of cool. I thought, well, that's not bad. I could hang out here during surgery. But then when I noticed is anybody that's had an experience like this understands about what I'm going to say, but I had that feeling of love and peace that just came right through me as if it were energy, almost like heat standing when you're standing in front of a fire, how the heat kind of feels like it's going through you. But this is even more so. I mean, it was just, it was like my body didn't fully exist, which of course it didn't, but the, the energy of love and peace just kind of kept coming through me and through me. And it felt like I was being held like this in, in a loving embrace. And I just started to cry because it was so welcoming and so wonderful. And it felt familiar. And I couldn't quite place, you know, how, how come it felt familiar? And then they had that thought, because my scientist, you know, mind is still kind of working. And I had the thought of, well, shoot, this isn't normal <laughs> for surgery. <laughs> I wonder if I died on the operating table. I mean, I really was thinking like, did I die on the operating table? And if I did, what's, why am I here? Because I don't believe in this stuff. And in that moment that I said, why am I here? Because I don't believe in this. Then there was an answer, which surprised me even more. And the answer was, you know, you are a part of me. You are my child. Welcome home. This is your home. And when I heard, when I, it wasn't just a hearing. I didn't hear it with my ears, really. It was a hearing it with my entire being. Yes, I know what you're talking about. It's so hard to explain to people that it goes right through you. And sometimes it feels loud, even though you're not actually hearing it. But sometimes messages seem to come and flow all at once. And other times they slow down. Is that the way it was for you? Yeah. And it wasn't really, it was words, but it wasn't words. It was more of concepts. So that's why I struggle with the, the, the phrase, you are my child. It was really more of you are a part of me. You know, that the you are my child thing was kind of what I wanted or what it felt like it was, but it was really more like you're a part of me. This is your home. Welcome home. And I knew it immediately that that was the truth. And I knew immediately in that moment that whatever this is that we're in right now for our 
true selves are our higher selves or souls this is in in a way kind of a dream kind of a i don't want to say fake or or not real but it's temporary it, it's it's not our true place it's not our true home and people really struggle with that and i think near death experiencers get it like oh we have to come back to this thing when that's the real <laughs> thing <laughs> so we and, and we live this out, but it never feels as important or as whole or as beautiful as that experience. Yeah. And then people talk so much about this world and everything that's wrong with it. And I'm, I always think that's not the point. The point is, how can we try to fix it with love? How can we try right. to make it better? That, right. That's all we're trying to do here. It's, it is. It's about love. And it's, I, I, try, I liken it sometimes to when you're a little kid. If you remember back to being, you know, in first or second grade and you're off on summer vacation, you know, and it's wonderful, you're having a great time, you're spending all this time with your friends, you're out running around and playing, and then you have to go back to school. <laughs> and that's what this is, like coming back here was like a little kid going back to school after summer break. Um, yeah, that's good. I like that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for me, though, you know, at first that was a hard transition as it is for a lot of people, because it so much feels like it's lost. But I went into that space like you just described of every moment that I'm back here is, is a moment for me to, in some way, help other people or love or be of service or, um, and sometimes have fun, you know, just enjoy being here. Yeah. So it's, it is a little bit more like summer vacation now here. Yeah. So when you were in that space and you, you heard that, so what happened next? Yeah. So I heard that voice. It welcomed me. And then I saw, sort of saw, off coming, coming from my right and off to behind me, there was a figure, what looked like a female figure approaching. And, and it looked like she was all clothed in uh, like a gray, silvery gray. It wasn't just like drab gray, but, but energetic grays and silvers, um, like a very flowy tunic and skirt or, you know, kind of flowy pants or something like that, which doesn't really matter. Um, and she had long hair and was a little bit taller than me, which isn't hard to do since I'm kind of short. But uh, <laughs> so she, she came up and embraced me and gave me some more, you know, kind of one of those energy embraces of love. And she said that she was my guide. She would teach me what I needed to know, kind of like a teacher, um, more than just a guide. But she would teach me what I needed to know in order to come back here into this life here and make it one that would be the one I was supposed to be living. You know, make it more, um, more fun, more loving, more light-filled. And as soon as I heard the going back part, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> wasn't real happy about that, as, as a lot of people aren't. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's hard from the human perspective to understand what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it. It was, I didn't want to come back, even with all my family and friends. And yes, you know, I have a daughter here who I love very, very much. And I knew that she would be heard at first that I would be gone, but in the end, I knew she would be well taken care of. I mean, I trust her, the rest of my family and her dad's family. So what was on my mind was I never want to leave this. I never want to go back to that life down there. But 
you know, my guide said, well, you've already made that choice to go back. And I kind of did one of these. I don't remember making that decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like, nope. there's, <laughs> there's like three things going on right there. There's that disconnection that when you're disconnected completely from the physical, you're just existing in that place. Then time is relative. So everyone you love is going to be there quickly enough. <laughs> so, right. you know, you look at this as well, see them, they'll figure it out and they'll be loved and then we'll reunite. And so there's that, but it sounds like you had a soul plan in place as yeah. well. Yeah, I did. And I didn't, I didn't know what all that was about before. The, I mean, I didn't have any concept of soul contracts or soul plans before my NDE. I had no idea what that was all about. So she said, well, you've already agreed to do this. And I said, well, I don't remember agreeing to that. So she showed me um, kind of like a, almost like a video kind of just in the air. And I don't know how they do this, but it's really awesome. <laughs> like, I know what you mean. <laughs> you it, yeah. a video in the air in front of me, of me, my soul body, my energetic body standing or what looked to be standing with a bunch of my soul friends. And in this, what looked like a very vague sense of a big room. I mean, it wasn't like a definite room like we would have here, but there, was, there were energy pillars that seemed to kind of form a room around, around all of us. And I was there making some statements. This is the kind of thing that I want to do when I go down there. This is what I want to accomplish. And oh, by the way, if I do this and this, you guys need to make sure I go back because I might not want to go back. And so I was making my agreement to have this accident and that my soul friends who were going to stay in that spiritual realm would make sure I came back. <laughs> they would hold me, you know, hold me to my contract that I was making. Wow. And once I saw that, I knew immediately it was the truth. I mean, it was just a remembering. Oh, yeah, now I remember, you know. Yeah. And then I felt like this weight, like, oh my God, what did I just agree to do? <laughs> <laughs> it seems so much easier over there and so much harder when you, when you get shoved back into the broken body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was. It felt very daunting to come back here. And I mean, I knew what I would be coming back here to do would feel big and that it would be challenging at times. Um, not just the coming back and dealing with the NDE and, and learning from it for myself, but also whatever else came. I knew I, I just knew part of my agreement was that I would have to speak about it, but I had, a, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about it. So I knew that was part of the plan, but I was scared of that too. Like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm, I haven't done this kind of stuff before. What's everybody going to think about me? So that was going through my head. And then I was thinking, well, you know, this woman who's with me teaching me this stuff, she doesn't know it yet, but I'm not going to go back there. I'm just going to keep going on. I'm going <laughs> to learn what, what she's going to teach me, but then I'm not going to go back. I'm just going to continue on with her. So I was thinking I was going to pull one over on her. <laughs> and, um, you know, we just spent what seemed like in human terms, it would take about two or three months to accomplish what we accomplished there and whatever time is irrelevant. So, you know, that brief amount of time that I was with her up here would be, I call it my semester in heaven because that's about how long it was, you know, and I learned a ton of stuff that I put in the book and I speak about and I still write about. 
And I love what you have to say about love, because that was something that I saw in my near-death experience, and I argued with God and did not want to come back, and I was shown <laughs> that I would be a teacher and that I would need to help people ignite their lights, that some people were filled with fear, and that everyone could reconnect with love and joy and peace and their own light and walk through life and spread love. And so you talk about a grid that I like, right. so can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, what the way that that I learned it um, was that there's this could take up the entire rest of the conversation. So you know, let me know if you want to move on to something else. But what I saw and was taught and felt and and experienced was that love really is the framework of everything. So I saw it as a grid, kind of like a crystalline lattice is how I describe it. It wasn't really a two-dimensional grid like this. It was three-dimensional or multi-dimensional, actually. Um, and, but it was an energetic grid that I could see that looked like little sparkles, but that were connected by all the little points were connected by energy going between them. So it looked to me like a crystalline lattice structure. Um, and kind of like how a diamond, if you look up on the internet, like a diamond crystalline structure, kind of like that. But that was the framework that formed, um, at first I said scaffolding because that was the only word that could come to my mind, but it re really more like a framework, the framework upon which everything is built, not just in the spiritual realm, but here too. So we are here in physical, still a part of that spiritual realm it's just a slight it's not separated out in space as we like to see it it's it's a different level of energy but it's all love it's that energy of love is that crystalline lattice of love that i saw and that forms the complete structure of everything here in the spiritual realm everything is based on that and what we do when we interact with each other, um, what love we bring up in ourselves and when we give it out, when we accept it, when we exchange it, anytime that we go into that loving space and are, are active in loving, we strengthen that field of divine love around us here. I mean, there is no separation. So it's here. It really does affect the, the energy around us here in physical, not just, you know, once we die, but here and now. Um, and it's real, <laughs> you know, it really does help when you, when you say that you're here to help people ignite that, that light of love inside of them, that basically strengthens up little bits of the world as you go along. So you're helping to, to strengthen that grid work or that framework of divine love. Do you ever feel like what you've been brought or what you need to bring back that knowing is kind of foreign to a lot of people that really what you're bringing back is this idea that we need to spread love. So I was given the role to do it in the classroom, which is easy to do. You know, you have a group of students, different ages, you know, junior high to college. It's easy to give love, support, mentor, coach, and send them out into the world. But in everyday life, I mean, that's kind of our role too, but yeah. we get so caught up going, what am I getting? Is this right? You know, and, and really the role is just to strengthen love, that yeah. field of love. And yeah. it may not always look 
like we're getting that much, you know, because we're just <laughs> Yeah, that's actually what, what my, one of my things is that I do, and I know that's part of my gift, is to come back and teach that so that people can live it on a daily basis, not just when they're in the, the workshop or classroom with me, but I call it simple spirituality. You know, how can you, as anyone out there, just come to your day in a little bit different way and just be more loving and less, less judgmental, less reactive, more conscious, more aware of what you're doing. And that's what I teach people how to do. And it doesn't take a lot of work. It's not like you're going to be meditating for five hours a day. You don't have to do that. Um, but there are ways that you can, you know, gradually, it's not an overnight thing. It wasn't for me even when I came back, you know, but it, it took me a good 18 months to really let go of all of this human drama and the human conditioning that we have. And the, uh, I think Don Miguel Ruiz calls it domestication. And I love that word because it's so true to let go of what I was taught how, who to be, how to be. And it took a while and it takes a while to let go of all that and live from a place of love. And there seems to be, especially when I look around America, a lot of brutality, a lot of trauma, and still it is love that's going to be the healer in those individual cases, even if it means rehabilitation in the form of imprisonment, even that can be more loving and more focused on rehabilitation and that I look at the world and I'm like everything could be more loving and that would heal things so much quicker is that the way you feel when you look around yeah, yeah it's you know I don't know about you but first for me I had probably a good well that 18 month period until I until I made that shift I was heartbroken every day at what I saw around me and it was really hard to reconcile what I had just experienced in, in that spiritual realm with what I was experiencing here. Like I kept saying, they're not the same place. They're, they are separated. What's the deal here? You know, this is way different from heaven. Blah. You know, I kept going on and on, but I finally realized I made that shift into every moment. Every moment can be loving. Everything that we do can be loving. Every Every interaction that we have with anyone, whether it's with a criminal or with our, you know, best friend across town, all of that can be more loving. And that's one of the reasons that, at least for me, I'm here is to help, like you said, help other people learn how to do that. And it isn't just, part of it is so that we can, we have the ability to live more in joy here and more heaven-like life or a more focused, centered, connected life, however you want to put it. We, we, this doesn't have to be the way it is right now, either on a societal scale or individually. But also there's a, there's a little bit of an evolutionary thing that, that's going on, which is one of the reasons that I was asked to do this stuff, meaning this all here. Um, it's the next evolution of society, but that starts with us individually. So we, we're to the point now, I think a lot of people would agree, when you look out at um, society as a whole, and I mean global society, not just 
you know, in any particular country. Um, we're at a point, it's going it, to, it, we're at a kind of a crisis point. Um, if we're not there yet, we're going to be soon. And there is a next evolution going on where we can't rely on our leaders to make good decisions for us necessarily as a society. It's going to have to come from us up. So we, you, I, everybody out there, it's helpful for us to fix ourselves. What I mean by that is learn how to be more peaceful, how, how to be more loving, how to make peaceful and loving decisions, um, how to elect or put into power people who believe like you do. And that's kind of that next evolution. It's not, we're not there yet, but you, at least I am, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of helping lay the groundwork for that. And I think a lot of other NDEers are. We're laying the groundwork for, for that transition. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that several NDEers are talking about heaven on earth and bringing that here. And so this last summer when I started this online summit, I meditated on bringing you know, actual energy of heaven to earth. And that was like for months, that's what I did. And I would open up what I believe was a portal and just bring that through. And I was like, it really can happen. You know, that other side is accessible and it is here and it can combine with here, but it, it takes some work and that takes, yeah. you know, for me, it's meditation that gets me there and gets me into that space. Is that part of what you do and teach others as well? I do. I do a form of um, contemplative prayer, which is, is a type of meditation and any of that kind of thing really will get you there. What I do, uh, I actually have done this on Facebook live. I actually need to do it again, but I do a session where I get a lot of people on Facebook live. And we just meditate or, or contemplate love. We just feel it in our hearts and try to push it out to the world around us. Now, if you've had an NDE, then what I usually ask people to do is kind of pull it in from that divine realm if you can feel it. Otherwise, if, you're, if you don't feel it, then just give it out from your heart. Um, but that's the practice that I do every day, just for a few moments, um, just to kind of pull it in from the divine realm and then just send it out to whoever's around me. I don't, probably doesn't go very far, but that doesn't matter. Oh, but cool. Next time you do that, tag me and I'll, okay. I'll tell everyone too, we'll do it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sending that energy of love out, it's real. You know, that's, that's what I've seen. And I've seen visions of this, that even as I lose energy, get older, like as long as I can send energy on an energetic level that I'm still doing good on this planet. And so right. sometimes people may wonder what it is they're doing, but do you see that too, that if you're just giving that energy of love, you're doing good? Yeah, you are. You are, you're basically helping the world just by being here and strengthening the love in that part, you're part of the country, wherever that happens to be. Yeah. So I mean, one of the things that one, one of my spiritual, and I've, I've, I have, I had many, many spiritual friends around me during my NDE that I didn't get to interact with personally. I just knew they were there. But one of them said to me through, you know, my main guide, um, we've placed, I'm going to, I'm probably not going to get the words exactly correct, but she's basically said, we, meaning the we as a whole, uh, the, the one who is the all, as they say, um, has, have placed people like you, NDEers, but people like you in specific locations to be funnels for that connection to heavenly love, to, to be that source 
of divine love on this planet. So I felt like that was a, a big job and I still feel very like you. It's a big part of why I came back just to be a source of it, kind of like a battery, you know, we need to recharge the battery. Well, I'm one of those conduits to help kind of recharge everybody's love batteries. Oh, I like that a lot. That that makes a ton of sense because you think of the opposite. So where crime has been committed in some house or where there's, you know, like negativity in places and sometimes these places become haunted or you can feel the negative energy of that place. Of course, you can feel the love or the positive energy of a place or a space or you know, a sacred location. And so, yeah, creating sacred spaces wherever we are is, yeah. is important. I've, I've seen that in, in different people. It's very sweet. So what are some of the direct lessons that, that you, I love how you structured your book, the 12 life lessons, but what's another lesson that you think people are just needing so desperately to hear and to integrate into their lives? I would say another one that's really important for a lot of people right now is community, building, uh, building a community of support around you. Again, that's you know, in, in enhancing love in your own life. But it not only helps you because you're strengthening you know, the, the very physical support system around you, but it also, again, reaches, you're reaching out and you're helping to build bonds of love with other people. Um, but we're, you know, the one thing that I've noticed in the time I came, have come back and, and many people see this, but, um, I don't want to, I don't want to diss social media, but I want to also say that it isn't as great of a connection as we would like for it to be with other people. So yeah, social media is fine, but, but make sure that you're spending some physical time with people that you're that either you like your love that you have something in common with um, so for me for example here i belong to a community garden where we garden um, and most of what we grow is actually for food banks in the area but we get together and we have fun and we we grow food for each other and for you know the, the rest of the community some for some people that's going to uh, a church service or a spiritual service of some kind but make sure that you're spending one-on-one -on -one time with people because that is so valuable. We're losing that so quickly right now. I and you'll feel better. Trust me, you'll feel better to have those one-on-one -on -one interactions with people. Yeah, I feel like I've been saved from myself many times because I've been in the motion of giving and helping to others. So we forget our wounds and our troubles and our physical pain when we're in that flow of helping others. So I'm so happy teaching and I'm so blessed that, you know, God gave me a mission in a community in college to be a part of. And so I always remind people that even my students, that when we do service projects, that they are in that flow too. So the more you're in flow in community, then the more that connection strengthens. So yeah. You can meet people, certainly, and you can develop real friendships on, on social media. But I do remind my students, too. I'm like, if you're getting everything from your computer, you're giving yourself away to the machine. So you're a human being connecting with a machine at the end of the day. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You can't, and, and, I, and I use social media to keep in touch with my friends. And that's fine. But I also make sure to have those one-on-one -on -one interactions because you get, get you can't get a hug from a computer, you know? When you need a hug or when you wanna give someone a hug, this computer isn't gonna do it. 
Um, and those, the, just the, we humans are really tactile beings. And so giving hugs helps both parties. It really does. So just keep that in mind. Um, I, I, in fact, the other day I gave, I, I had to ask permission, but I gave a hug to the post office teller because it was a really bad incident with a woman in line ahead of me who was really not having a good day and was screaming for no reason at the teller. And when that woman left, I looked at the teller and said, can I come give you a hug? Because I think you need one. She's like, she didn't say anything. She was about ready to cry. And so I just hugged her Aww. and said, I, you know, it wasn't, this wasn't you. This was, she was, she was in a different place in a bad space, you know, know that we appreciate you. And that's all she needed. Yeah. And, you know, from moments like that to the really traumatic moments in life too, I think, you know, after a shooting or after anything, I think people just need to be loved until they're better. You know, that trauma needs to be loved away that it resets in nature. It resets through love, you know, and that's what's, that's what the world is hungry for is, is. that kind of healing. Yeah, we are. All of us are. <laughs> I, I love one of your blog posts about joy and living from your truth. And this is something that is true for me. And I'm beginning to say maybe it's true for a lot of near-death experiencers is I, I didn't want to hide at some point, you know, like there was, there was just no holding back. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> There's little, there's little that I am not in private that I'm not in public, you know, like, you know, I mean, there's some things, but, 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 you know, that, that, um, that joy is just being authentic and being like, really, you are, and you wrote about that. And I wondered if you wanted to add more to that. Yeah. You know, when I, I, I guess this took me a while, maybe another, maybe a couple of years after my NDE to really fully get this, but one of the one of the beautiful blessings that I got from my NDE was, again, stripping off all of that stuff that society tells us that we should do and be. And once that was gone for me, and I felt fearless because of everything that happened, it was like, well, why in the world shouldn't I be who I am? And sometimes, I mean, I will have to say, I have to be cautious a couple of times because I do... I do st still do some part-time work for uh, a corporation. And there are times when I have to really rein in um, some things there, but for the most part, there is, um, it, it's, it's the societal shoulds or the shoulds we learn from our parents or wh whatever that really hold us back. You know, when we go into our own selves and learn what our core truth is, like, for example, one of mine is um, I'm extremely creative. Everybody's creative. My creativity happens to be with oil paint. People are creative in different ways, and that's beautiful. But for a long time, it wasn't that I was ashamed of it, but I didn't think it was valuable. I didn't give it, I didn't place a lot of uh, value. I thought, oh, that's cute, but you know, it's it's not really all that important. But you know what? It is important to me, and it's that just the activity of of being creative, painting, brings me such joy that I can't deny it. Now it's important, and everybody has that. You know, you you may have something that you're kind of holding back because you don't think 
anybody's going to accept you or, you know, think it's very important or society may look kind of weird at you for, for liking that. Um, I mean, shoot, if you like watching shows about UFOs and going to UFO conventions or something, that's awesome. You know, just do it. Be yourself. Um, you know, I <laughs> great advice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's going to allow you to just live in your joy every day. If that's your joy, then be it. As long as you're not harming yourself or other people, which you know, when you're when you've got something like that that is a source of joy, it could be taking care of your kids. You know, do it to the best of your abilities and just don't hold back and don't be ashamed of it. You know, it's fine. It's you. That's why you came here. And often the things that we're afraid of talking about or doing are the very things that we need to bring forth because that's what other people are needing and that's what society is needing at that time. So even if it's just speaking about a, a subject it's a little bit taboo or unheard of, then a lot of times people really jump on board because they have it in their hearts too. So we're really? all more connected than we realize. And sometimes it, it just takes a leap of faith, but, but children and puppies and all these little baby animals are born with so much joy and so much love. And I think that's stripping away everything that we've learned too, and kind of coming back to our central really? nature of love and joy. Yeah, you know, what are, what are all those shoulds that you've learned? Like for me, uh, one of the shoulds that I learned, and it wasn't, in the, it wasn't that my parents were, or society was trying to damage me. It was just that was how it was. You know, my, my parents especially were concerned that I would never make a living, that I would be a bag lady if I became an artist. You know, that was, that was the programming that I grew up with. You shouldn't be an artist because you'll never be able to support yourself with it and you'll be a bag lady and on the streets. You know, that was the should that I grew up with. We all grow up with many of those shoulds. And when you let go of that, you know, that's part of the process. It's not the only part of the process. You know, then I had to learn how to be a businesswoman as an artist, but the first step is letting go, figure out what those shoulds are and then let learning how to let go of them. And I tell you what, it's the most freeing thing in the world to let go of those shoulds. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. I do want to ask you too, since before this interview started, you said that your near death experience was only five years ago. Um, Two questions. So did the physical pain ease for you quickly and you know how what do you do with that and then two how did you integrate everything so quickly to write a book and to just assimilate into that space you know mine happened in 94 so it took a long time to come out publicly in 2008 was the first time I was on a show and and talked about it but yeah I'd, I'd love to hear yeah so the physical pain I did have I was blessed. I, I did have some when I came back from my surgery, um, but I had what I call a spiritual healing during surgery, which I believe, and I have no proof of this, but I believe that it helped with my pain immensely. So when I came back from surgery within, I think it was like two days, I was off pain meds because I didn't need them anymore. Um, There was still some pain. I'm not going to lie and say I was completely pain-free, but it was certainly tolerable with just Tylenol. And most of the time I didn't even take Tylenol. Um, 
and it's not like I have like this huge pain tolerance, but I just wasn't feeling enough pain to justify, you know, opiates, which is what they wanted me to be on. So it cleared up fairly quickly. I mean, I did have some like muscle pain for the next year or so as my back was healing up. Um, but again, that was really just, uh, I dealt with that with Tylenol, but I think a lot of the heal I did, uh, I was out of all of my casts and all of my braces within, I think it was four, a little over four weeks after surgery. So four weeks after, well, by about four and a half weeks after the accident, all my casts were off. I didn't have my back brace on anymore. I didn't have my neck brace on anymore. So my body had healed so fast, I think, because of this near-death experience. So I was very blessed. Uh, that doesn't normally happen to people. So I'm extremely grateful. Did you participate with your healing? Like I, I did some after, you know, when I was back home, like you, I got off pain meds really quickly. I was in some severe pain, but I just didn't want to take them. And I meditated, connected with that light, imagined healing quickly. Did you do some meditation? And I, I did. I did. A, I spent a lot of time in what I call, uh, I don't know if I have a term for it, but just I was in a state of bliss, love, bliss. I would just kind of chill out a little bit and start um, meditating on the word love. I just let it flow. I would just repeat it to myself. And then I would, all of a sudden, I was, it was like I was floating in that love again. Hmm. And I would stay there for as long as I could because I knew it was healing. And in some days, some days that was a couple of hours. Um, that I was in that sometimes it was only just a few minutes, but going into that state of bliss or love, I think really helped. It was just a complete, a completely different level of energy. And I want to go back to you. You saw a healing occur during surgery. So you saw something happen to assist with your healing. Oh, that was, it was during my NDE and it was actually while I was still with my spiritual guide. And as she was about to send me back, because uh, I was throwing a, I was throwing a temper tantrum. She said, well, I'm, I'm going to help you a little bit and, and help you heal a little bit before I send you back. And she placed a hand kind of like this over my left shoulder, which I, I had a um, collar, this collarbone was broken. And then she placed the hand, her hand over my, like right about here. So I'm not really sure now if it was for my, I had this cracked sternum, but I wonder now if it was really just to help, help me communicate better once I got back. So it was like the throat chakra area. And then she placed her hand over my left rib cage, which I had. Uh, a, the funny thing is I didn't know this until about three months ago. I had a really badly punctured lung and partially collapsed lung uh, and multiple broken ribs on that side. And she, so she spent a lot of time with her hand kind of over that area, kind of healing that. Wow. I never felt any pain in those areas when I came back. Wow. None. And so I think that helped. Um, and I think just having been, you know, in that state of heavenly love, bliss for so long helped too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. And I wonder if you did this too, I didn't feel that much pain, 
but I would shift my consciousness slightly outside of my body and then get into the state. So I wasn't feeling at all because it was so easy to do still. So I knew that, I mean, it was red hot. I had, I broke three vertebrae and was in a body cast and had all kind of internal injuries and I just was vomiting, couldn't take the pain pills. So it was very painful for me, but I, I would move myself aside, then I'd connect with that love and that light and just let it work on me. But now I can still do that with pain, which is not always good because I shifted my consciousness away from this tooth that was hurting and then it broke. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe I should have done <laughs> We do need to pay attention to the yeah. body. <laughs> it's too easy to shift out of it. <laughs> Yeah. I only do that once in a while now. You know, I, I, I didn't actually, I didn't do that a whole lot at first. It took me a while to relearn how to do that. Um, and I've used that technique a couple of times. There was one, maybe about two years, two and a half years after my accident. I don't, I honestly, at this point don't remember what happened, but I was getting very upset at something that was going on in my life. And it was silly. It was honestly silly. Um, but one of those human dramas that we get caught up in, and I remember sitting on the couch one evening, um, and my daughter wasn't with me, so I was by myself. And all of a sudden, I just decided that I was going to shift out and try to see what was going on from a different perspective and to try to get a different perspective on this event or whatever it was. So I shifted out, and my higher self said, you know, that is just so ridiculous. Why are you <laughs> wasting energy being upset about nothing? And I started laughing, absolutely <laughs> belly laughing. And then when I came back together, it was like, yeah, this isn't a big deal anymore at all. How funny. Um, and so you can, you can use that technique for other things besides pain, you know? Yeah. When you need to get a different perspective on some crazy thing you're doing in your life. That's funny. That's really cute. So beyond the physical pain, you assimilated a lot. And you said that this yeah. was partly because you had a loving family and not too much drama around you when you came back to help you accept the near-death experience. And these times, I think, are more helpful. I'm thinking that everyone who's had a recent NDE can assimilate it quickly because all of us have been talking for a long time. <laughs> I think that was part of it. Part of it was also that um, I had just uh, like not even it was a, a Facebook friend so you know yay for Facebook for certain things I got put in touch with someone on Facebook who put me in touch with the group IANDS I-A-N-D-S which you and I both know International Association for Near-Death Studies and I had no idea who these people were but I started going to the local meetings I think it was I don't remember how long, maybe it was five or six months after my NDE where I started going to the meetings and being there with other people who were interested. I think I may have been the only nde but it was a lot of people who were supportive of NDEs. Um, that helped so much to be able to go there and be surrounded by people who got me, who understood that what I was going through was real, uh, that I could just be myself and say whatever I felt like saying and nobody was going to lift an eyebrow. Um, so that was a big part of it. Another part of it was for me, since I am such a, I do art, but I also like to write. And I always have. So what I started to do, I mean, basically, as soon as I could hold a pen after my NDE, I started writing notes about what had happened. 
So I have like two or three book notebooks full of, you know, all the things that I experienced that I started writing right away. And then I started writing a blog about it because I wanted to share it. I was just going to share it with my friends and family, but going through the act for me of writing that blog, not in my notes, but really putting that stuff into a format that someone else could understand helped me process what it was that I had gone through and think, wow, you know, this is amazing. And I'm very grateful for what happened. So the, I think I spent uh, six or eight months doing that blog before I even thought about writing a book. It was more kind of selfish. I was kind of doing it for me, but I was also doing it for friends and family. And it turned out to help me more than probably anybody else. <laughs> yeah. And when I interviewed Kenneth Ring, uh, one of the, the things I asked him was like what surprised him about all his research about NDEs. And he said that it was how people are still so fascinated by it. So I'm sure you're amazed that it wasn't just to your friends and family, that there's so many people who want to hear about near-death experiences and talk to near-death experiencers. And did that shock you in the beginning or... It did. I didn't, I really didn't think anybody would be interested in hearing what I had. I really didn't. I just, I thought, well, okay. So I tell my friends and my immediate family members and it's probably going to be about it. And that's fine. That's kind of what I agreed to do. Um, and I had no idea that anybody else would even care, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I understand now because you know, it's one of those things that happen to people that not many of us are blessed to experience. And it was that blessing that I wanted to share. Yeah. And many of us probably do have that soul contract to come back here and to talk about this. And it's usually quite dramatic what we go through. You know, death is not easy <laughs> it's on, on many levels, <laughs> but but it's also beautiful and nothing to fear. And so I think I wanted to come back and comfort everyone who might have felt some fear the way I did. And I'm sure you felt that too. So that's part of the mission, but there's a bigger mission. And that really is of course the love, but is there, is there anything else? Did you get like a, a clear glimpse of your mission um, or because some near death experiencers come back and they struggle for some time. Uh, they don't know exactly what to do. I was given a really clear mission. It kind of sounds like you were too. I was too, and, and um, the, it was piecemealed out to me. So I knew that the next step was to write the blog. I knew that that was, it felt like the right thing to do. But my guide during my NDE basically said, she didn't tell me to write a book, but she, she said, you might want to share this with as many people as who will listen because it will affect a lot of people. And so I didn't know the right way to do that. Um, and it, it very clearly, it very clearly came to me that it would be a book and maybe more than one book because I'm working on another one now. But, um, but that felt to me like the best way to get this info out there in the most digestible way for, so people could mull over it and, um, and not necessarily have to learn it all at once. They could pick a chapter and just study that chapter for a while. Uh, part of it too that I knew this was kind of a want for me is really to continue developing my art. So that was it wasn't that wasn't a divine mission or a divine purpose or anything like that. That but but it can be you know for me 
when I'm in that space of creating a painting, I'm totally Zen, totally loving, totally in the moment. So I'm sure I'm setting out, you know, good signals from that. Um, but there's another piece that, that kind of came up, I would say within the last two years of continuing to learn from this. Um, I learned about not just soul contracts, because that's the contract that we have when we come into this body, but something bigger than that, which I call a, a soul career. So at, on the spiritual level, what do I do in between these lives? Which for me, most of the time I'm not in, uh, incarnate. I, I've been, it's been explained to me that I don't incarnate very often. That's just my, my deal. Um, but my soul, I have a soul career or a soul job. And that's what I do when I'm not here. And some, not everybody has these. I mean, you don't have to. I just happen to have this spiritual career, if you will. Um, and it makes, it makes sense now that I know, I mean, everything kind of like starts to make sense when I learned what it was. And the, the soul career that I personally have is that I help people transition out of this body from this body into into spirit so that's you know what when a lot of NDEers say they're surrounded by these spiritual beings during their transition time that's kind of what I'm supposed to do when I'm not here I'm one of those I'm a helper you know I help people transition gently and gracefully out of their bodies um, and so it started to make sense like oh this is kind of coming together for me I'm understanding why all this happened now Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, the the ones who are there who send love to calm. I felt very calmed down by the angelic beings who were there as soon as I stepped out of form that they sent that loving energy. And so that that's a very interesting career <laughs> on the yeah. other side. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's it isn't. Um, I don't I people tell me that's angelic. And like you just said, it really for me, it isn't I'm not don't I'm not an angel by any stretch of the imagination. But um, it, it's a, it's a kind of like a spiritual guide. You know, there, some people are just, they tend to be spiritual guides. I tend to be one of those spirit helpers that help people transition out. And it's mm -hmm. cool. It's cool. It can also be challenging sometimes, but, um, I've, I've remembered a lot of it. And so a lot of this now is beginning to make more sense. Do you do any sitting with people who are dying, any hospice work or death doula work? I do, yeah, and that's actually what triggered all of this to come back to me as a, as a soul career because I've been, I've been doing that. And I tell you what, it's, it feels absolutely right to help out with that. Um, it feels sacred. It feels, it feels like an honor. Um, perhaps one of the most sacred things that you can do with another person is to just be there with them as they're transitioning and just being loved during that transition. It's uh, for us, it can be challenging if you're with someone who, who, especially if you're, if you have a longstanding relationship with them, but, but it's also, I don't know, the, the depths of sacredness is something that I can't put into words. It just feels like it's much bigger than me when I sit there with someone and just be. 
Right. And you probably do sense some of that transition into the spirit world and follow them for a minute. That's, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nancy, so much for talking with me. I guess we will end there, but um, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tricia. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening, please check out the writing workshops that I have uh, and starting in January and also in about uh, six months or so in the summer, there will be a near-death experience online summit again through the University of Heaven with Raymond Moody and Lisa Smart. And I'll be hosting some of that and Nancy will be speaking. So I'm very happy to have you there too. (laughs) All right. Thank Thank you. you.